0: I'm David Asman. I'm Janice Dean. I'm Jimmy Fallon. And this is the Fox News Rundown.
1: Thursday, November 16th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The head of the FBI says the terrorist threat level against the U.S. is on a whole other level now as Al-Qaeda and ISIS issue new calls to attack Americans. Republicans wonder if the threat is already here courtesy of our Southwest border.
2: When you see so many people come across, when you see so many gotaways, you have to wonder statistically who and what other nations they may come from and what is their motivation for coming here.
3: I'm Chris Foster. Most voters just aren't buying what President Biden's selling.
4: I don't think that voters really decide things on what's happening in the last day, but I do think that they decide things, you know, pretty much by next summer, They're going to look at the economy and say, am I better off or am I worse?
5: And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown.
1: The head of the FBI has informed Congress of an elevated terrorist to the homeland since the Hamas attack against Israel on October 7th, but at Wednesday's Global Threats hearing before a House Homeland Security subcommittee, FBI Director Ray had a new update on that threat.
0: Al-Qaeda issued its most specific call to attack the United States in the past five years. Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula called on jihadists to attack Americans and Jewish people everywhere. ISIS urged its followers to target Jewish communities in the United States and Europe.
1: He said the worry is lone actors being inspired by such groups, but added, We cannot
0: and do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here.
1: Republicans were quick to link the terrorist threat to our border. The subcommittee chair, Congressman Mark Green, pointed out that since the president took office, there have been more than six and a half million southwest border encounters and over 1.7 million known gotaways. In the last fiscal year alone, CBP had encounters with 169 names that match those on the terrorist watch list, people caught between ports of entry, as well as thousands of special interest aliens, people caught from countries that have experienced terrorist activity.
0: How many other individuals Posing a national security threat, have been among the 1.8 million known gotaways. No one knows. And that is terrifying.
1: It's what's led to comments like the one South Carolina Senator Tim Scott made at the November 8th NBC debate.
0: I believe
6: that we have sleeper terrorist cells in America. Thousands of people have come from Yemen, Iran, Syria, and Iraq. If we are going to deal with a national security emergency at our border, we have to do it now.
1: The FBI director said while they weren't tracking an active plot, the ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of an attack against Americans in the United States to a whole other level.
2: So if we've learned anything from the last 20 plus years about international terrorism is that we should take it very, very seriously.
1: Michael Allen is a former National Security Council advisor to President George W. Bush and is now Managing Director of Beacon Global Strategies.
2: It reminds me in the summer of 2001, al-Qaeda was making a variety of threats. They weren't specific enough to give us sort of tactical warning of what they were going to do to the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, but it was enough to turn our warning lights on and try to get ready for something. That's what we're hearing now. We need to be able to secure the homeland. We need to make sure our intelligence services are collecting what they need to collect so that the FBI, the CIA, and the Homeland Security Department can have sufficient warning so they can protect the American people.
1: Um, Director Ray said he cannot discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. He said that a couple of weeks ago as well. It kind of makes it sound, correct me if I'm wrong, like we simply don't know. We don't know who's here. We can't rule it out. How do you read that?
2: Yeah, he definitely can't and should not be ruling out the international reach of any terrorist organization. In this climate, I have my own doubts about whether Hamas has the reach, but certainly I know Iran does. Iran runs a lot of different proxy forces of terrorists. And so they try to extend their reach to the United States. There are vulnerabilities to get into a country like ours. And so we need to be ready for it. We need to be collecting intelligence overseas so that we would have some sort of indication of what might be coming to get us. The other thing I'd be worried about is people who have been self-radicalized. Maybe they're watching too much footage online. Maybe they are looking at Hamas propaganda and take action against Americans because of what they feel like they've seen. That's something we've got to watch after and we need to be ready.
1: It sounds like Ray was saying it's both, right? It's lone actors inspired and this idea of a a group, of a terrorist organization. I guess both are terrifying, right? On the one hand, you think of a coordinated attack, an organization. You think of obviously 9-11. And then years later, you think of a lone actor. You might think of San Bernardino and the shooting at the workplace. It, It seems so wide ranging that, you know, if you're just an average citizen, you kind of just have to go about your life.
2: You definitely have to go apart your uh, about your life. I remember when I was in the White House and President Bush, on occasion, would raise the threat level higher, and it was sort of alarming. But he always needed to be able to tell the American people, "This is a signal for people. If you see something, to say something. But otherwise, you need to live your life normally." We're trying to activate the attention of local police, federal authorities, and, of course, state police across the country, in addition to the work that the FBI does. So these are ways for all of us to be wary, but not to otherwise affect what we do day to day.
1: You were in government when the Department of Homeland Security was created, and it was noted right. Wednesday by Republicans on the House Homeland Security Subcommittee that among the record high numbers of people apprehended at the southwest border, there have been 169 encounters with people whose names match those on the terrorist watch list who were caught specifically between ports of entry. That's just between ports of entry, that number. On top of that, it's more than a million and a half gotaways that um, have been noted since President Biden took office. How significant is that?
2: Yeah, it's very concerning, It is one of the reasons President Bush wanted to create the Department of Homeland Security is he wanted more of a coordinated focus on in-between points of entry border security. What we've seen since President Biden has been in office is just a complete relaxation, not only of deportation, but of the work of the Border Patrol agents. They don't have enough people. They don't have enough immigration judges backing them. And we need reform of certain laws that are being abused. When you see so many people come across, when you see so many gotaways, you have to wonder statistically who and what other nations they may come from and what is their motivation for coming here. I think that's why the FBI director has to say, listen, we're watching a lot. We have a lot of cases open, but we don't know what we don't know. And so everyone needs to be vigilant. And I can't promise the Congress that I know everything that's going on in this wide and vast country.
1: You know, before he dropped out of the 2024 race, um, Senator Tim Scott said at the last debate, you know, he thinks there are terrorist cells already here, given the border situation. And I, I want your thoughts on this exchange with the Homeland Security Subcommittee Chair, Mark Green and FBI Director Ray. Green says, you know, known gotaway numbers alone at the border are over half a million since the president took office. And here's part of that exchange.
4: Can
0: the FBI guarantee the American people that known or suspected terrorists, including any from Hamas or other terror groups, are not amongst those gotaways. Well, certainly the, the group of people that you're talking about are a source of, of great concern for us. That's why we're aggressively using all 56 of our joint terrorism task forces. And there, but there's really no way for you to guarantee that Hamas isn't in those.
1: And Ray said, you know, that, that's their exact concern. And then Green asked, if the number of people coming in were lower, would that mean we are safer? And here's Ray's reply.
0: Greater fidelity about who's coming in this country and how they're getting in uh, is essential to yeah. making sure we protect Americans from, from all sorts of threats, including
2: a potential terrorist attack. Yeah, I do, too.
1: So he sort of he sort of answers, right? But, but what did you hear in that exchange?
2: Well, I heard what's obvious, which is that if we have a smaller pool of people coming into the country, we'll have a better idea of who is trying to come normally is, so to speak, or into a port of entry. And we scan that against databases for any pings that they may have known terrorist associations. But also, there would necessarily be fewer people who got away. And I can't promise you, nor could any FBI director ever say categorically that no one got in from a foreign terrorist organization. But it would be a lot less likely if we had fewer people coming across in the first place there's so many tens of thousands coming through that is what's causing people to freak out and that's why these members of congress are correctly raising these issues with the fbi director and why we all need to be vigilant
1: and i gotta ask you this because i feel like earlier on in our interview you were kind of referencing this without saying it but fbi's really wants reauthorization of Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act that allows spying on non-Americans overseas. There have been concerns, though, bipartisan concerns, really, that too often U.S. citizens get caught up in that surveillance. It sounds like this is going to get approved. They're going to have that reauthorization. But it, it seemed tense throughout the year at several of these hearings
2: I'm worried it has been too tense. We absolutely need these surveillance authorities. They are critical. Our intelligence community is flying blind without them. I understand why people get nervous, but the FBI is not targeting Americans without a warrant. They may be, however, targeting terrorists overseas who call into the United States, and then that's a discovery moment.
1: Um, I have one more for you, if I may. Reuters is reporting that per anonymous Iranian and Hamas officials, that the Ayatollah of Iran told Hamas leadership, you gave us no warning of October 7th. We will not enter the war on your behalf. I don't know what to make of that. Is that their way of leaking this anonymously to say, hey, United States, we don't want a wider war. We just want to keep drone attacking you in Syria and Iraq. Like, what are we to make of this even coming out?
2: i have to say i went immediately where you did which is that uh, iran knows that if they are fingered with any of the planning or direct involvement that even more people around the globe will have greater skepticism about them as an international rogue state that's a state sponsor of terrorists and they ought to have more criticism of them and more scrutiny of them so you're right. I saw this as a way for them to put this out there and have the people that don't want a tough Iran policy be able to say, "Hey, look, the the, the Ayatollah is mad at the at Hamas." <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Call it, it color, color me skeptical, right yeah. there with you.
1: I just have to ask, since I have you, I promise I'll let you go. It's just so interesting. You know, you you listened to Director Ray on Wednesday. He he was saying, you know we've done so much more on the cyber front and we've arrested so many more people and stopped so many cyber attacks, but that they're just overwhelmed really by the amount of threat. And I just wonder like, is everybody at NSC and the Pentagon and and everybody in Intel, is everybody reeling right now? Is this just a lot?
2: This is a whole lot. We have three major threats going on simultaneously. And by the way, they're all interrelated. I mean, we have, a China that is growing. Of course, Russia is trying to gobble up states in Eastern Europe. And now Iran, the head of the snake, as Mohammed bin Salman calls it, is very active, as active as they've been in years with all of their terrorist proxies. I can't go five minutes without looking at my phone to see that the Yemeni terrorist group called the Houthi just shot off a missile at Israel. All of this requires intelligence. We can't hit anybody or anything around the world without great intelligence. So yes, we're just at a historic inflection point in terms of national security risk.
5: Hmm.
1: Michael Allen, former NSC staffer and managing director of Beacon Global Strategies. Thank you so much for joining.
2: Thanks for having me.
5: This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up.
3: Dear President Biden, tell it, it's it been a great first term so far, which proves he's up for and deserves to win a second term. The
6: only thing that comes today is a little bit of wisdom. I've,
3: I've, I've been doing this, Lauren, anybody, and I guess what? I'm going to continue to do it with your help. The president there at a rally in Philadelphia back on Labor Day. For months now, though, in polls, most Americans, including a lot of Democrats, say they don't want him to run again. Former Ohio House Democrat Tim Ryan says he loves Joe Biden, but tells MSNBC last week. The whole country wants to move on, and I I think that it would be uh, the right thing to do for the president to not run. Former Obama advisor David Axelrod isn't saying President Biden should drop out, but tells CNN this past Sunday. There's just a lot of concern about
2: the age issue, and uh, and that is something that I think he needs to uh, ponder. Just do a check and say, is this the right thing? Uh, to do. And
3: as you may be reminded by his critics over the next few days, the president turns 81
4: Monday. He is at an advanced age, uh, and people are worried. Is he up for another term? I think that cuts across Democrats and Republicans.
3: Political strategist, pollster, and former Clinton advisor Mark Penn.
4: Uh, and I think people are really concerned, particularly about inflation. And they really feel that their paycheck is, is bringing in less than it did, that gas prices are up. And so the president here, you know, you have to say he's in somewhat of hot water, not unusual for presidents at this stage, but it's a good good degree of hot water that the president's going to have to work his way out of to have a good shot at reelection.
3: Yeah. Republicans use the term Bidenomics as a pejorative. The administration's been sort of trying to brag on it. And, you know, they have people out he, when he has events, they talk about it. But he continues to get poor marks, there? Is it just time to change tack? People don't like him on the economy, no matter what the numbers say. And if it is time to change tack, to what?
4: Well, I was there with President Clinton, and we didn't call it Clintonomics. But uh, what we did was we really persuaded people that the, that the economy was better than they thought at the time. Now, really, you've got a, almost two thirds of the people who think the economy is bad. Uh, you have people who think that their own lives are worse. So, Bidenomics is not selling right now as a concept simply because of people's everyday lives now having said that there have been some good decent job reports uh there was a very good inflation report you know it's a year out uh i don't think that voters really decide things on what's happening in the last day but i do think that they decide things you know pretty much by next summer they're going to look at the economy and say am i better off or am i worse and so he's still got some time here but there's no question that the current numbers are quite negative
3: those numbers, is it the case sometimes that voters will tell pollsters one thing, sort of as a protest, not vote, but a, a protest answer, um, because they don't like the way things are going at that moment. But then in the end, they're really not going to vote for John Kennedy. They're not going to vote for Dean Phillips. They're not going to vote for Jill Stein. They're going to come home, uh, as, as we say, to to the incumbent. Uh,
4: voters generally don't go home to incumbents. Generally, the, the polling tradition is when you're an incumbent, you get more or less what you get, and the undecided usually breaks more against you than for you, uh, simply because they know you pretty well, and if they liked you, they'd probably be with you. So, but these are snapshots in time. I, I cannot come back and caution to you and say, you know, if I could take a lot of presidents, you would have thought we're, we're losers a year out, and we don't know what it's really going to look like. How do you square
3: Democratic victories in the midterms and in special elections and in like issue votes, like when there have been referendums on abortion with that low approval rating for the president? Is, Is it is there reason there to believe that the polls don't matter as much in this case?
4: No. Well, as a longtime pollster and having had a really good record in terms of accuracy and even our Harris poll was the most accurate poll last time. I believe in polls, but you really have to interpret them carefully, and you can't overread them. It's clear Democrats have a really excellent turnout operation. It seems to be that maybe that turnout operation and mail-in ballot operation is superior to what the Republicans have, so maybe they're getting a point or two of edge, you know, out of that operation over what might be reflected in the polls. I think I think that's really, you know, that that that's really quite possible. Uh, we'll we'll have to see whether or not the Republicans kind of catch on and, you know, equalize as say, you know, DeSantis is right in Florida. He played a really good, you know, voter turnout voting game. And so he neutralized what you see nationally is, a, is a, I think, clearly an advantage for the Democrats. And you know, is abortion, you know, more of an issue out there? Abortions have actually been, you know. It's only about a third of the of the number of abortions, but people want the right to an abortion, whether they're going to have one or not. And they, I think that that is a strong feeling that uh, many voters go to the polls with.
3: Yeah. I mean, you wrote for Fox Digital the other day that Republicans may be losing swing voters, maybe people who lean libertarian because they just want more freedom. And that seems to be true, like you said, regarding abortion, for starters.
4: Yeah, I think that's the odd thing. The Republicans have somehow gotten for bigger government. You know when it comes to marijuana and abortion and now the democrats are for smaller government when it comes to abortion and and marijuana and and so so those independent voters may be less partisan and care more than anything else about personal freedom and and i think you know what i what i said was the real issue isn't abortion or marijuana per se it's that people Given given a choice, would rather they make the decisions than the government.
3: Yeah, and you said Nikki Haley could is is the one you think could upend the Republican race in the next few weeks? Maybe when people start voting. Maybe as the Trump legal troubles compound or well, whatever. What what makes her the candidate to beat Trump if she's if somebody's going to?
4: Because she has the one thing that no one else in the race has momentum. And when you look at primaries, you could be at two percent, five percent, ten percent. When you are the person with momentum, that is usually the person who, you know, if not wins, comes in with a with a pretty good finish. DeSantis has had uh, reverse momentum, consistently coming down in the polls. Trump has stayed about the same, maybe down a bit, uh, but but no real significant change in, in his polls. And uh, the rest of the king, you know, and you could say. Uh, Ramaswamy had some momentum and then lost it uh, as people got to know him better. So he had a little bit more 15 minutes of fame rather than real momentum. And the rest of the candidates were were not really successful in entering the race at all.
3: Yeah. Do you think DeSantis got in
4: too too early, too loudly? Being a front runner in Democratic and Republican presidential primaries is a hazardous profession. What happened with DeSantis is he was supposed to take. You know that suburban vote the anti-trump vote you know the and and instead he went for the trump vote positioned his candidacy almost over ted cruz land and then he lost the support of all those people who are now rallying behind nikki haley and he had them in the beginning uh and he he threw it away with what i think is like one of the like most interesting campaign strategic errors of all time
3: (laughs) um Michelle Obama talked in 2016 kind of famously about um, during the, the, the Hillary Clinton Trump race, when they go when they go low, we go high. Um, should Democrats and President Biden be going low and play a little, you know, sweep the leg, Johnny, and just hammering Trump nonstop, assuming he's the nominee?
4: I think they'll get there. I wouldn't worry about there being inadequate, negative campaigning. Uh, I think it's hard to see the positive campaigning these days. You know, when I ran a presidential re-election, and these are both, interestingly, these are both presidential re-elections, what we worked on all day was having an agenda for the future so that people in a re-election, they're saying, OK, are this candidate's best days behind him or or ahead? And what, are, what, is, what is the candidate offering for the future? So I personally think, you know, relying just on, you know, negative bazookas going back and forth, not as powerful and not as unifying, which is really what you want as a leader. You want to win the presidency, unify the country and have a mantle of leadership uh, as really uh, perfecting your uh, your agenda of what you're really going to do in the next uh, four years.
3: Well, and like you mentioned before, and like a lot of people have been telling pollsters, speaking of best days or best days ahead or not or worst days ahead. President Biden is an old man. And chances that his best days personally are ahead of him are not are not great. So it's so they have to sell not just the agenda, but mitigate concerns about that.
4: Well, they they do. And I think I think the president's shown, I think, you know, in Israel and we'll see how he does with, uh, you know, the Chinese premier, you know, meetings. I mean, he's getting back into the ring you know on the world stage uh frequently one of the techniques of showing that you're uh, a good president and particularly when domestic issues are not going well is you know go out there on foreign policy and he's taken some strong stands you know behind ukraine uh behind israel mostly uh and, and you know clearly we'll see kind of what his position in china and i think these things work to to you know uh create a better image for him than kind of kind of staying in the white house i mean we'll see what happens so far as you know only mickey haley has shown any momentum you know biden's numbers have not improved uh so far but but i think he is out there on the foreign policy circuit now the new hampshire
3: primary is going to be first in the nation still uh, ahead of south carolina which the democratic national committee and president biden want first south carolina so biden won't even be on the ballot in new hampshire um, other than a day or two of news and somebody getting to brag, "Hey, I won New Hampshire," um, does it does it really matter? Uh,
4: not in the Democratic side. I think on the on the Democratic side, he is the president. There's no organized, significant opposition. There's been some internal questioning, you know, largely from the Obama camp in the in the in the last you know week or two. Um, but if he wants to be the nominee and he's running, I think Democrats have been pretty well consolidated. The real interesting thing in New Hampshire will be you know, where does Nikki Haley and DeSantis wind up relative to Trump? Because it's a primary where independent voters can come in and they can make last minute decisions. And it's not really that interesting to vote in an uncontested right. uh, Dean Phillips uh, Democratic primary. There could be a lot of you know, soft Republicans who uh, who vote in
3: that primary. Mark Penn, former Clinton advisor, the CEO and founder of Stagwell Inc., that's a global marketing and communications group based in D.C. Mark, thanks for coming back on The Rundown.
4: Thank
6: you. Meet the American who
7: created Webster's Dictionary. Noah Webster Jr. was born in 1758 in what's now West Hartford, Connecticut, a descendant of John Webster, an Englishman who was one of the first settlers in the 1600s. Webster spent much of the Revolutionary War as a student at Yale, eventually leaving his studies behind to join the 60-mile march to meet British forces. However, the British were defeated before Webster's West Hartford group could join the fight. Webster went on to publish The Blue-Backed Speller, a spectacularly successful textbook teaching the fundamentals of the English language. In the 19th century, this textbook would become a bestseller in America, with an estimated 100 million copies sold. Following his success, he published the Compendious Dictionary of the American Language in 1806 with 5,000 new words. He set out to catalog the new American words popping up like skunk, chowder, and immigrant. Nineteen years later, he published the American Dictionary of the English Language. After collecting words on little slips of paper, it contained a whopping 70,000 words, 12,000 of which had never once appeared in British English. Webster is responsible for many of the key differences between British English and the American lexicon one being the word color, now excluding the U commonly used in many spellings across the pond. At 82 years old, Webster added his last words to the dictionary in 1841. Among his many achievements were editing Alexander Hamilton's Federalist newspaper in the 1790s, as well as serving in the Connecticut House of Representatives in the 1800s. Even today, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary is headquartered in Springfield, Massachusetts, just 30 miles away from where Webster started it all. You can go to the lifestyle section at foxnews.com to find more of these incredible stories. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi.
6: From the Fox News Podcasts Network.
7: Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.
6: Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary.
7: Tommy
2: Lahren.
6: What's on your mind?
5: Senator Marsha Blackburn is demanding the release of the Jeffrey Epstein flight logs. Blackburn is calling on the Senate Judiciary Committee to issue a subpoena against the estate of the now deceased sex offender Jeffrey Epstein with the goal of obtaining and exposing the passengers that traveled aboard his private jet. The plane named the Lolita Express was allegedly used by Epstein and his partner to fly celebrities and other high-profile people around the world into his infamous private island where he kept underage girls. The American people have a right to know the politicians, celebrities, and potential abusers that participated or were complicit in Epstein's child prostitution ring. It's an absolute abomination that these logs have been buried, hidden, and protected for so long. Release the unredacted flight logs and let's get a look at the pedophiles and abusers who ought to finally pay the price. I'm Tommy Lahren and you can watch my show Tommy Lahren is fearless at outkick.com.